Welcome to It's a Slate of Mind with Allison Hazelden. This is the entertainment industry's video podcast, where we spark honest, unfiltered conversations within the community about things we're all thinking about, but don't talk about enough. I invite you to join my circle of friends, both new and old, as we tackle the industry together. Hi guys, welcome to episode 14 of It's a Slate of Mind. I am so excited to share the conversation I had with Alex Collins with you guys today. We are breaking down the myth about the starving artist. Uh, This is a subject that I am really passionate about. Um, You know, we have this whole idea, a lot of people try to perpetuate the notion that if you're an actor, that is all you can be, that you cannot be focused on anything else, that being multi-passionate outside of the arts is not going to help you and means that you're not committed to your craft. And Alex and I basically call bullshit on all of that and break down kind of where this idea has originated from, why we think it's a bunch of nonsense, and some really practical ways to go about having a sustainable, stable career outside of acting that not only pays the bills, but will support your efforts as an So my guest this week is Alex Collins. As I mentioned, Alex is an actor. He is a coach. He is got so much experience um, from both coasts, from LA to here in Atlanta, um, as well as in the UK. And he dives in and shares so much about his experience in both the Southeast market and in the LA market. Um, He provides some insight for actors on self-tapes, on auditioning in the room, uh, where our heads should be at, as well as all that great juicy stuff about having a career outside of acting that I just mentioned. So without further ado, get ready guys. This is going to be an episode full of information. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here he is, Alex Collins. A little bit about my background. Let's yeah. see. A lot of people don't know I was born and raised in England. Oh, yeah, that's but fun. Um, we came to the U.S. kind of right at the end of middle school, right before high school, and okay. it was a really big culture shock for me. It was at a time when I was wearing dark jeans when <laughs> acid wash was cool. I had a big afro, typical English teeth. I played soccer, which was wow. not popular. I played soccer growing up, though. Yeah, but in in the deep south, it wasn't oh, really popular, and then I, and and so my accent, I stuck out like a sore thumb. So you know, a lot of the a lot of the boys wanted to beat me up, and a lot of the oh. girls were like, "You're cool," and I was like, "I'm really not." <laughs> That's so funny. Wait, so yeah. how long did you like? Were you okay with the accent, or did you like try to get rid I of con- it? I consciously hid my 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 English accent within a year. Wow. Yeah, because wow. I, I just didn't want to stick out and draw unnecessary attention to myself. It's hard enough to move to a new school at like 12, 13, 14 anyway. Yeah. Right? But now imagine, imagine moving to a new school in a new country. Yeah, that's like, a lot, especially at that age. Yeah, it was it was a really big culture shock and it was a challenge. And, um, you know, it, it took me about a year to kind of hide the accent and then find my tribe, I guess, you know, my, my soccer guys. I've, I've found a soccer, a couple soccer players, and then I found my soccer team. And then from there, things got a lot easier. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that became, that became <laughs> a lot easier at that point. So so that's sort of how I ended up in, in the U.S. Cool. And Atlanta specifically. And then I bounced around a bunch of places. Okay. Yeah. So were your, were your parents U.S. citizens or uh, UK? English. Okay, yeah, we're, English. we're all okay. we're all English. Okay. Um, 
my dad happened to have a business opportunity um, where we could move to Spain, uh, Geneva, Switzerland, or Atlanta. Wow. And we came to Atlanta. It, huh. it made the best financial business sure. sense for him, for his sure. business. And, uh, you know, it was sort of frustrating for me. I didn't, I didn't really care. <laughs> I mean, where we would go, I didn't want to go anywhere, but I would have made, made it work anywhere, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I mean, back I'm, sh- I'm like, sure they didn't really consult you on it. <laughs> nah, I mean, well, you, you sort of, sort of. Sort of yeah. yeah. I mean, I was leaning towards Spain just because we had spent a couple weeks every mm. summer in Spain growing Spain's up. Lovely. Yeah. And you know, not, I didn't then, but I do now speak Spanish. And so that's, you know, that was just, for me, yeah. that would have been it, closest soccer wise sure. and oh, yeah. culture wise. It would have been really fun. And a lot of English people go to Spain anyway. So for that reason, it probably Seems would more, have been easiest. Yeah. Or Atlanta. I'd never heard of Atlanta. <laughs> um, the only things I knew, you know, growing up in England, there were only, yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing up in England, there were only four TV channels. And so all of our, you know, TV growing up was American television. Mm. So I grew up with like, um, you know, Bay, Baywatch and well, actually, this is before Baywatch, Knight Rider and A Team yeah. and uh, things like that. So that was that was pretty fun. I was like, oh man, America is so big and yeah, that's so. Funny. Actually, I, I really didn't realize how large the United States was until I started getting recruited to play soccer oh, okay. in college. And, and I started, I, I started getting letters from all these schools, <laughs> and there's this place uh, like Notre Dame was one of them, Holy Cross mm. was this other one, and. You know, you take these official visits. The schools pay right. for you to go take your visits, right? And before I went on some of these visits, I was like, "Wait, where is this place? <laughs> Takes how long to what, get there? <laughs> what's the weather like? They get how much snow? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not going. I remember at the time there this there was a university, and the coach's name was Elvis. Oh, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool, Elvis." And uh, and then I figured out where the school was, and I had to call him, and I was like, uh, "Coach Elvis." Um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta cancel my visit because I just really can't go to school here because it's too cold. I can't handle that amount of cold. Yeah, can't handle that much snow. Sorry. <laughs> so, and I, so I crossed off all the cold schools from my list. Um, it's funny, and I actually remember a kid I played soccer with on the same club team. He grew up in California and then moved to Atlanta, and he ended up going to college in Nebraska, and he'd never seen snow until he got wow. to college. And he's like, I think I made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but he ended up as an All-American and did really well. So he did. So he's care. fine. So yeah, he's fine. fine. He was okay. He adjusted. Yeah, he, he adjusted. That's so funny. Yeah. So that's sort of the that's sort so of how did, I got here. Yeah. So you got here and then yeah. you were just super into sports. What, what, at what point did you start, you know, kind of doing the artistic stuff? Well, really, I mean, for me, not even sports. I mean, I like all sports, yeah. but soccer was it. Growing that, up, that growing, was, growing up English, it was soccer. And I, my goal was to be a professional soccer player and, um, so that was the focus uh, in, right. front, in front of anything else. Like sure. I, my summer job was playing soccer, like to play for the Olympic development team and travel yeah. and, and, you know, get exposure at tournaments and things like that. Um, I'd always want, I always enjoyed acting. I think again, growing up in England, a lot of the American TV, mm. uh, there was a show in the eighties called the fall guy. And yeah, okay. it, before way before your time, <laughs> and it was about a stuntman and his life as a stuntman, and it was oh, really, that's it fun. Was really cool. Yeah, so sort of comes full circle now that Quentin Tarantino's new movie, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. is about is about an actor and his stuntman. So yeah, I wanted to be a stuntman, and so I sort of looked at what he did on TV, like, and so I fake fought my brother. I have a big brother, and then I would like jump <laughs> off of furniture and out of like fall off of chairs. Yeah. And, 
you know, I, I think once once I was starting, my mom could see the wheels turning. And once that I, I sort of started planning, how can I throw myself out of a moving car? <laughs> my mom was like, okay, I need to get you into some sort of sport Structure, to channel this yeah. energy. And the closest thing to be able to do that was to be a goalie. And so I was a soccer goalie, you know, okay. and, and threw myself at people's feet. Yeah. And, and that, get kicked I mean, in that the face sense. and stuff like that. Yeah. So very similar. Yeah. Um, and then in high school, I was always interested in theater, but okay. I never, but I never, freshman year, I didn't take theater. I was still adjusting to the United States. And then I went to private school for two years to play soccer, to get exposure for college. Right. Great team, great coach, really well-known, prestigious program. And I started taking um, theater classes there. Okay. And so my very first thing I'd ever done besides like tree number two in the Christmas nativity play in England was uh, I, I was Dracula in, in Dracula with, you know, they, they had custom teeth made for me and we had this fitted cape so we could do this really cool trick where I disappeared on stage okay. uh, and then went through a trap door. I was awful. I'm sure there's a VHS. I'm honestly just impressed that a high school had trapdoor capabilities. Yeah, it was really good. It was really private school. They had a lot of money. Oh, that's They had a lot of money to do that. (laughs) Private school. The funny thing is that is that was my first acting teacher, and he's still he's still at the school today. Oh. He uh, he he oversees the fine arts department and has done for a long time, and we've become quite good friends as now you know as adults, as peers. So So, yeah, his wife is quite a quite a well known actor. but yeah, so that that was my experience of that. I, I didn't love the school or love the affluence and sort of the attitude from a lot of people. So by the time yeah. junior year was over and I had done enough to get, you know, recognition for soccer to go to college, right. I was like, forget this. And I went back to public school hmm. and hung out with all my friends for senior year. And I had your typical, you know, athlete senior year experience where okay. like, we were the kings of the school. Yeah. And it, was so- it was soccer. I mean, football was pretty present but we were a really good soccer team too and so so we were just jokers yeah, and, so fun. you know our, our, our coach would be like hey guys we're gonna we're gonna run sprints and stuff we're like nah coach we're not gonna do that we, we don't want to do that and so we would we would just dominate what we wanted to do and he'd be like oh okay guys what do, what do you guys want to do oh my gosh yeah so that was that was high school high school That's was so pretty at that point it was a nice turning point because coming from england i was so afraid of the culture shock and did mm. not fit in at all and then, by, you know, by the end of high school, things had turned around pretty, sure. pretty nicely. So. Sure. I feel like people don't – like, I, I had a few friends in school who also made the move kind of in, like, middle school, high school. And yeah. I don't think people – people just assume since it's like, oh, they speak English too. And, like, there are, yeah. like, former, like, comrades that, <laughs> that it's, like, not as bad of a transition. But it is. It's tough. I mean, yeah. at, at that age, 12, 13, 14 – you make a move, it's difficult if you move just to a different town. Sure. But a new country is a completely different right. culture system, uh, even though, yeah, even though you speak, speak the same, same language. language. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's, yeah, that's so sort of the origin high story. Out of high school, yeah. And how, like, how are you now the Alex Collins that you are now? If you were going to be a soccer star. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, so I played soccer in college at the University of Richmond in Virginia, which is okay. a really small school. And um, even even during college, I had an interest for acting. And so my first semester freshman year, I took an acting class. Cool. You know, like acting yeah. 101. And then through the course of preseason freshman year, I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to, like, be the starter on the team. You know, be a redshirt sure. and then gradually improve. Sure. And get, but I won the starting job as a, as a freshman in preseason. And so I was a lot busier than I thought I was, mm-hmm. which was reflected in my GPA, which started so poorly. <laughs> My my GPA was so low, I went up eight semesters in a row. 
that's how that's how bad it was to start with. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I won I won the starting job, and so I had to drop some classes. And so the one class that I dropped was my acting class. Right. <laughs> so fast forward to second semester senior year, senioritis. I'm about to graduate. Right. I'm like, I'm gonna take that acting class. So I, I took the same <laughs> acting class one on one with the same teacher. Huh. And um, about two weeks into the semester, the registrar says, hey, you need this, um, you know, like, you need this class to graduate. Mm -hmm. And it's on Tuesdays and Thursdays at this time. I'm like, that's when my acting class is. And they're like, yeah, you can't graduate without this class. So I had to drop the class again. Same, no same class, same teacher. The only two, I think it was the <laughs> only two classes I dropped in college. And they were both that. professor that, was class. over it. He was, yeah. Walter, what's his name? So, so, yeah, that was really funny. And so... But you graduated. I graduated, and my, my intent was um, to, to be a professional soccer player. And right. so I was working on that, and I faced some adversity on my college team, and I didn't, after, started out so well and did not finish nearly as well. Mm. Um, I, had, I had the skills to play at that level. I didn't have the mental toughness. Sure. And I was really broken. My spirit was broken, and my will was broken by a really awful coach. We got a yeah. new coach while I, was in a, uh, while I was a freshman in college, and he was just such a jerk. And I didn't have the mental toughness then to kind of endure and overcome. Mm. And so it really just broke me in half. And I was really angry with soccer for years and years and years. Um, long, long story short, I, I played on a couple of pro rosters for okay. literally like a blink of an eye. Never made a career as it. I was angry and, and just really bitter and stopped playing soccer until many, many years later when I lived mm. in L.A. And I played with a number and my some friends of mine got me back into it. Cool. And I got into a lot of, like, there was a team called Hollywood United, which was all ex-pros and actors. Oh, fun. So some of whom I'm still friends with today. But, you know, it was great. Like, a lot of, like, yeah. oh, I know that guy from that show. <laughs> I know that guy from that movie. And That's so th those things were really cool. Um, and so I did the responsible thing. And I got a degree in finance and marketing and ended up going to work for a couple of different Fortune 500 companies and yeah. sitting, sitting in a cube. And then my best friend uh, is one of my best friends today. He's one of my best friends in high school, like mm -hmm. forever. He basically would call and leave a message on my office voicemail every day. Quit your job. Quit your job. You know you want to act. You know you want to act. What? For like six months until I quit my job. And then I returned the favor and made him quit his job. And then we both became, here in Atlanta, became sort of starving artists with no idea what we were doing. Right. No idea. Like we hadn't even taken classes at that point. Wow. Um, and so we very wow. quickly immersed ourselves into the acting scene here, taking classes at different places. And there was not nearly the amount of classes then yeah. that there are now. So we, so we immersed ourselves into classes and, um, you know, got headshots. And then we both ended up fast forward three years. We, we worked in this market for three years, you know, doing like little mm -hmm. commercials and, you know, non-union industrials and sure. things like that and you know i think i think the first project i ever did i got my got my footage on vhs okay right like that's how old i am <laughs> and um so fast forward about three years and he and i both worked on this really big chevy national commercial oh, nice. union commercial for nascar with a bunch of nascar drivers and that gave us a bunch of money yeah and it gave us our union eligibility and then we circled the date on the calendar and we moved to LA because that's, that was the Back pinnacle then, that what, that yeah, seemed like that's, that's what you needed absolutely. to do, right? If, if you wanted to work in theater, you'd sure. go to New York. If you wanted to go to Hollywood, you would go to Hollywood. I mean, yeah, that's how it was when I was a kid. I didn't yeah. come here at all. No, I it was just, not. I was by coastal. I was Orlando yeah. to LA. That was it. Yeah. So that's, so that's what we did. So we moved, we moved to LA we, you know, packed up all our stuff and headed West. And, um, that, that was sort of the beginning of the Hollywood journey. 
Yeah, which was crazy. We arrived at 1 a.m. in the morning, and so it was really weird pulling into Los Angeles. You know, you see a little bit of the city lights as you, <laughs> as you come in, but obviously you can't see the Hollywood sign or anything like that. So, you know, you wake up that next morning. I remember the day, and it was like, oh, you know, the, the heavens, the clouds yeah. part, and the sun, the sun shines, shining. and you drive, the air smelled different, and then you drive around, and you're like, there's the Hollywood sign. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. Give me a show. <laughs> I'm ready. That's so funny. And it didn't happen like that at all. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. I remember that feeling. Yeah, it it was it was rough. It was rough yeah. for sure. Always is. It is. I, I, I know very few people who say, "Yeah, I moved to LA and it was the easiest thing in the world." Yeah, no such thing as an overnight success. No. Of course. No. But then you ended up back here. Then I ended up back here. Yeah, I did a little a little under a decade in L.A. And L.A. was a really difficult time because, you know, it's just the most saturated place in the world. The, the most attractive 1%, the most talented 1%, sure. plus a whole bunch of people who aren't, right? right. And they don't hustle. And they, but, but there's just a volume of people. There's a sea and a flood of people. And time passes in an instant. The first year, you're just figuring out the lay of the land. Oh, and when I moved there, this was before... You know, cell phones were a thing, but this was before like GPS, GPS was routinely available. So you had this thing called the Thomas Guide. And anybody my age will know what a Thomas Guide is. There was one in every single car okay. and it was a spiral map. Oh, so anytime, yes. so anytime okay. you had a casting, anytime you had an audition, oh, hey, so you're going, you're going to, you know, Warner Brothers in Burbank, uh, page 534 D4 is where 534 D4. And then you would go 534 D4 and you would flip the book backwards from your destination to where your start point, where you lived. And you're like, oh, so I gotta, I gotta take the, the 10, and I gotta take to the 101 north, I gotta take 101 to the 170, or I could go to 134 and then exit, and then right. I gotta take Burbank Boulevard. And you're like, so then you would figure out how to get there and how, how, how early, early you would leave? have to leave. I was gonna say. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, you would always wanna leave as early as possible because yeah. there's always accidents and there's always right. like until you really, really learned all the back roads. Then you had to read the signs for parking. And you always had to, this was before credit cards were allowed in parking meters. So you always had like a, a Ziploc baggie of, or your own little like change purse of quarters. And yeah, you, you know, yeah. You'd, you'd get down to your last couple quarters and then you'd have that one like quarter that wouldn't work. Like it, oh, it, it, it was rubbed off or right. dented. And so it, like, wouldn't it, it, it wouldn't register. You're like, come on, I need that 15 minutes. So, so yeah, I did a decade of that. And then right in the middle of my time in LA, there was there was a really per perfect storm. Uh, okay. And that perfect storm was in 2008, there was the writer strike. Yep. And then that was also the emergence of when A-listers made that pivot on it's okay to do TV. And so A-listers mm. started to do TV in series regular roles. So series regular people who were auditioning for those sort of things, then were doing large guest stars. And then there was a trickle down effect. Sure. And so everybody was then at the bottom of the barrel just fighting for co-stars. So it wasn't unrealistic to be in LA for years and not get an agent. Yeah. You could get a commercial agent, right? But getting a theatrical agent for film and TV was a, was a war. Yeah. It was a war of attrition and just constant mailings and uh, rejection and workshops and rejection and doing showcases and rejection right. and putting on plays that nobody come to see. You know, it's just, re and, you know, mailing postcards. It's yeah. just so hard spinning the wheels. The people in our market here in Atlanta and the Southeast, they just don't. I hate to be the old guy that's like, I, you know, go. I used to have to walk uphill both ways in the snow. 
But that's, it was so hard. Even the market here, like forget going to LA, even the market here before, before self tapes. Oh yeah. Right. In the, in the early 2000s to mid 2000s, the, the epicenter of the market was Wilmington, North Carolina. So you would get your one line audition for Dawson's Creek or One Tree Hill. Mm -hmm. And you would drive from Atlanta to Wilmington, seven hours. You'd go in for casting. You'd have your one line audition and you'd drive back seven hours. Two days later, if you got a call back, you drive another seven hours for your one line in the room. So you 28 hours to hear no. Right. To hear no, right? So so this, you know, the self-tape, the self-tape market has created a lot of amazing opportunities for actors. If that if the self if if we if we like, you know, snapped our fingers and the self-tape market disappeared, A, it would separate the the professionals from the pretenders. Right. Because you can't take 15 takes of an audition in the room. You either get it and take direction and incorporate direction or you don't. Number one. And number two, everyone's audition volume would go down 80%, oh, sure. at least 80%. It's crazy to me, the people, like, I can tell so quickly if someone has never uh, been working prior to the self-tape era. Because yeah. for me, I was like, I just, I just remember, the way I, like, my, I mentally approach everything is so different because my entire childhood, like, a decade of my life almost, was always in the room. Right. So I was very, like, I remember having to learn what self-tapes were and how they worked. And my manager was like, yeah, no, like, this is the thing now. Like, you're going to have to do this. You know, it's one of the, here where, you know, the Atlanta actors are ahead of the curve. Sure. We're we're so used to it. We've been doing it a decade. LA actors are behind the curve and they're finally catching up. And there's a couple of really great self-tape studios in LA and actors are doing it at home. Like actors here are. But by and large, actors are just not comfortable with it in LA to the degree that we are here because we're just right. so used to it. Right. And it's 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 created, and I've talked about this on the show before, but it's created this sort of like dichotomous thing because you have to not only be the creative and be the artist and mm-hmm. do your job there, mm-hmm. but you have to suddenly be also an administrative assistant and figure out all the technicalities that they sure. want and labeling yeah. and this and you know doing all this stuff. And it's so much more than we had to worry about previously. No question. It's one one of the things I teach in my classes is um, there's three types of acting, right, in my opinion. There's acting for the self-tape, there's acting in the room audition, mm-hmm. and there's acting on set. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're Denzel or Meryl Streep on set right. if you don't know how to do the first two things well. You don't get the and in our market, yeah. if you don't know how to do the first thing well, yeah. something as simple as an eyeline. Sure. Right? If you're auditioning for the resident as a nurse and you're trying to do, you know, pull pull this guy's kidney out or something, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you're you're helping suture right. some organ. You're working. Right. You're working in the room, you would play it real. Right. Your hands are right in front of you. You're looking at the body that you're working on. But if you're doing that on your self-tape, the only thing a self-tape seeing is the top of your head. Right. But actors, are, there's a light bulb moment with every actor. And they're like, oh. Oh, they need to see my face. I, oh, what? I didn't. Yeah. Well, duh, of course. <laughs> right. Which, which is which is why I'm like, look, there's, there's three completely different disciplines. Sure. And you have to know when to incorporate which set of tools right. technically right. for each one. And how to toggle quickly. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. right. Yeah. It's funny. It is crazy. Mm. Anyway, so you've been here now. Been here now. Been back from LA uh, almost seven years. You work, you coach. Work, coach, teach, consult, doing all the yeah. things. All yeah. Things. All of the things. All of the things, which yeah. is so great, though, because I mean, today we're talking all about um, kind of what you referenced a little bit, which is like that whole myth of how we romanticize the idea of the starving artist and how it yeah. isn't always so necessary. 
No, I mean, I think the idea historically, right, for actors is the most common way to make money is in the service industry. Mm. Bartending, waiting tables, busing, barbacking, right. valet, whatever. And that's a completely honorable way to make sure. your money because it's flexible. Sure. And bartending especially is lucrative. Right. If you're serving at the right place, it's lucrative. And generally speaking, it's flexible in right. the sense it's last minute someone's going to be able to cover your shift. Right. Allison, can you cover my shift? Okay, I, I can come. I'll switch right. start times. With you. I'll come in at five. Yeah. I just need an extra hour. I got to get back from this audition. Yeah, no problem, yeah. right? But technology is at a place today where there are so many different things that you could so do. So many. And if you factor in acting as a career, as a marathon, if, you, if you're really looking at this smartly, you're going to be doing this for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. So why do you want to take the short-term mentality of, oh, I'll work at this restaurant today? Cool. That's awesome. But you could also invest in your long-term growth. Learn, right. learn how to code. There's so learn how to do graphic design. There's so many things too that you can get paid for that will also be so good for your own acting career. Yeah, that's my big thing. Yeah, a lot. I, I, as actors, we come from a place of fear in so many ways right. because we get rejected 97, 98 sure. times out of 100 sure. in what we do for our auditions. That it just bleeds into other facets of our. Oh, I don't want to take this risk. I don't want right. to invest in learning this skill. Who cares if it takes you 18 months sure. to learn how to code, right. right, or to or to do graphic design or what have you? Because 18 months is nothing in a 30-year career. Absolutely. And if you can do it on a laptop, then that allows you to do it in New Orleans when you're working Wherever on a set. You are. Or mm -hmm. Wilmington when you're going for an audition. Not Absolutely. That, not that you would go to audition <laughs> in Wilmington these days. But I, I think, you know, that's sort of an old passe mindset sure. of, um, you know, i got to be a starving artist and there's nobility in, like, grinding right. and being for bohemian. And, uh, oh, you know, I'm living with four other people. Well, and I, that happens, yeah. too, though. Like, people do and that happens, and that's okay. Sure. But it just, I feel like a lot of people think, I mean, and I remember being told, like, if I had any other interests for, like, other things I could do for money that weren't, you know, my craft of acting, that I wasn't committed enough. Like, oh, that means that you're not all in. You yeah. have other things you want to do. And I was like, no, I just, you know, don't want to put all of my eggs in this basket to the point where I don't love what I'm what I'm doing with acting anymore. Like, I want to have options because yeah. you never know what's going to come at you. I think, you know, th that whole plan B concept, well, if you have a backup plan, then you're not committed enough. Right. I don't buy that. No. I don't buy that because... Having a plan B doesn't mean either or. Right. It means both. Sure. Both you can you can sow seeds in both areas. You have to, actors have to have a source of income. Right. Right. And for the vast majority of actors, that source of income is not acting. It's right. a job. Yeah. So instead of having a job that's a transactional job, why don't you have a job that's a fulfilling career? Absolutely. That allows you to do things. You know, that's a really nice leg up here in Atlanta versus L.A., for example. Mm -hmm. Your agent in L.A., your boss in L.A. does not care about your audition. Right. They don't care. Get your shift covered or you're fired. Yep. Right. So you have to be ready to quit that job to find another right. one at a moment's notice or offend your agents and managers. Hey, I can't make that audition. Right. Oh, what, what's that? You've been in a car accident? Take Uber. I don't care. You have a four o'clock appointment. In Atlanta, there's still this sort of 
cool factor. <laughs> yeah. Where you could be working for a small mom and pop, you know, I don't know, construction company right. as as the office manager. And they're like, you've got an idea. Cool. What's it for? They're excited for yeah. you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just come back after and, and stay an extra hour later right. today. Or as or long as you get your work done. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are more empathetic to the plight, and there's a novelty there. Sure. Like, oh, we saw them filming Ozark on Lake Lanier last week. <laughs> it, have you watched it? You should be on that show, right? As if it's that easy. Which but, is so yeah. lovely. Like, it is. It's nice. Yeah, it's it's really nice. And I mean, so you have those kinds of things, and then, like you were saying, I mean, my day job, I work for an agency that's based in California, and I'm completely remote. So yeah. I'm in marketing, and that's what I went to school for, and I'm so grateful for that because it is something that these days. You know, I make my own schedule. Like it's kind of like what you're saying. They yeah. don't care when I get the work done as long as I get it done. For I have a monthly retainer for each of my clients. So as long right. as I meet my my time and my my work for my clients, they you're don't good. care. Yeah. So if I need to adjust throughout the week or or whatever, then I mean, and I don't think people. I think it's mostly like people just don't realize the opportunities. So that they many have. things out there. There's customer service jobs sure. that are remote. There's all kinds of things that you don't yeah. even really need to get extra skills. Like. No, no. You, a lot of them you don't. I, I've been asked this question so many times about, well, okay, I, I don't want to work in a restaurant industry. What else can I do? I was asked that so many times that I finally put together an ebook. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, earlier this year, I finally just put pen to paper. And so it was like 101 jobs for actors. And it that's starts from fun. the super simple service industry jobs right. to much more complex sure. and full-time jobs. Sure. Right. So, and, and the more complex and the closer to full-time you get, yeah, there may be some skills that you need. Like I have a friend who, who's an actress in LA. She's also an, a really accomplished concierge oh. at a really high end hotel in Beverly Hills. And yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work. Right. And you start out hourly and you don't make a ton of money. But right. if you're a really good concierge you and you tips. and you're a fixer and you can find things and get tickets at the last minute yeah. or table reservations or what have you, you get tips. Yeah. And in Beverly Hills, people will tip really nicely. I bet. Um, so I have that. I have someone who's a personal assistant to mm -hmm. a husband and wife power couple in L.A. I mean, awesome. Oscar, Emmy, Egot. I mean, an yeah. Egot couple. Awesome. Um, what else is there? I mean, there's – yeah, I mean, it, it ranges super simple too all the way down right. to like uh, – Uber driving and, and Lyft and Uber right. Eats, which is super, or, or DoorDash, sure. all right. the super sales, flexible things. Actors are great That's what sales. I did. Yeah. I did sales for 11 years. Right. I worked for a really high-end coffee company in Los Angeles, and they didn't know I was an actor when I first started. And what I did was, it's like, oh, I've, I've got an audition in Santa Monica. I'll go visit all my Santa Monica clients beforehand. Right. Then for lunch, I'll go to the audition. Right. And then I'll come back, and on the way back, to the office, I'll stop in at my yeah. Beverly Hills clients and Absolutely. then my West Hollywood clients and so on and so forth. And it was flexible enough. It worked for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I just think a lot of people limit themselves though. People just assume, I don't know why are we like perpetuated this idea that, you know, it's not doable, but I think, especially if you're in this market and um, if you are really committed to getting everything done, you'll find a way. That's you, what I believe. You will. From from the day job, you know, quote unquote day job or corporate job, again, actors are always going to have to pay rent. They're right. always going to have to cover their bills. So look at the things that you have as a skill set and look at the things that you enjoy to do right. and then try and marry them in some sort of job. Sure. No, no one wants to work at the Cheesecake Factory. Like that's not an aspiration. Right. Sorry, Cheesecake Factory. Right. Nobody loves white denim either. <laughs> um, I've worked there. So it's okay. It's one of my many jobs. So 
why don't you look at the things that you could you could potentially do on a longer term basis? And then whenever you get hired on with the company, be the best employee possible, yeah. right? Under promise and over deliver. So then you become an asset to the organization. Right. So when you start saying, hey, I'd love some more flexibility in my schedule, I'm willing to give you back some salary right. to increase my flexibility. Right. Um, would it be all right if I work remotely? Would it be all right? Hey, you know, I'm an actor. If I book this job, I can use, you know, my vacation days or, right. you know, I'll make up my work another time. And a lot of bosses are okay with sure. that. If you've proven yourself first, right. if you're constantly watching the clock and you come in at nine and leave at 4.59, right. then no, you're not going to get that offer from them because you are costing them money. Right. But if you've proven yourself an asset and you're making the company money, yeah and you're not hemorrhaging money from them, right. then they're going to be a lot more open to the concept of being flexible with you to retain you in the big right. picture. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that kind of stuff works, especially if you're someone who is in a position like that, where maybe you're not in a job that has specialized extra skills. Right. Um, and then, but also I think there's, there's so many um, ways to get those extra skills for cheap. If that is something that you're looking to do to kind of like, you're like, okay, I can't, I can't handle the restaurant industry anymore. I can't yeah. handle sales or whatever. I mean, I know at least in, in my industry and in like PR marketing, mm -hmm. advertising, there's so many online courses where you can yeah. literally get these skills for very little. There's courses here. Um, oh, what's it called? There's a place here in town that teaches coding and stuff and yeah. like 16 yeah. week courses right. and all those things. I mean, I cannot recommend it enough. Like my quality of life, because I, I used to work like in an in-house agency, like right. crazy schedule. And at that point I was not acting. I was like in my little hiatus period. Sure, but, sure. Um, but even that, like going from, you know, my schedule now is so much busier in terms of the fact that I have my marketing career and then I also have my acting career yeah. and all these other things, but I've never been happier because my quality of life, having much, that flexible schedule is so yeah. much better. My acting work ends up being better and, you, you you mentioned that when you were on a hiatus from mm. acting, and I think that's something that holds actors back, is they're afraid that sure. it, it's going to be viewed as a failure, right? Yeah. Oh, well, did you quit the business? Are you not acting anymore? Right. What's the deal? Yeah. You're right. I think sometimes you have to take a step back to be able to take two steps forward. 100 And again, if you're looking at the long view, if you're looking at this is a marathon yeah. endeavor, becoming a working actor is a marathon endeavor. It's, there's nothing wrong. What is six months of a hiatus? Right. What's two years of a hiatus yeah. for the next 40 years? Absolutely. If you emerge from that hiatus with a better quality of life, right. better peace of mind, better mental health and sure. mental clarity. Sense of self. Sense of self. Yeah. And, you're, and, and you are now in a much better place financially, holistically, in every way possible Absolutely. to sustain you through that. Look, it's, it's the dirty little secret no one wants to talk about. There's 160,000 actors in the Screen Actors Guild, right? The union actors, what's deemed as the professional barometer of the industry, right? There's another eight, 900,000 people that are non-union, okay? Of those union actors, the last, you know, the, the number I always throw out because it was a report I read a couple of years ago, 97% of union actors make less than $5,000 a year acting. Yeah. That means the overwhelming majority, let's just say everyone, is going to need an additional source of income. Yeah. If that's the case, then do the things that you need to do to sustain yourself long enough that you're not chasing your tail every right. month just trying to put food on the table. Right. Because right? that's not, I mean, that's, that, in, my, in my opinion, I mean, 
like, yeah, like if that's what you need to do, that's, that's what you need to do. But like, yeah. how is that helping what you want to do, which is acting better? It's not, Yeah. it's, it's more stress. It's, it's definitely, unless you are a super Zen master <laughs> going to come through in some way in the work that you're trying to do in acting. And yeah. it's really hard to, um, to keep those things separate. I know a lot of people struggle with that, just balancing between the two. And I feel like it's a little bit easier to find that balance if you're in a day job that you don't completely hate. Uh, no question. <laughs> and it's all, again, it's also easier to find that balance in this market than yeah. it is in LA or New York. Just the Absolutely. cost of living is so much lower here. Yeah. And look, let's be honest, Atlanta is not a cheap place to live anymore. Right. Uh, but it is compared to LA and New York. Sure. Um, and so I think your, your ability, if you can make a budget and stick to it, you can succeed here and you can survive longer right. until you get the opportunities. But the, the flip side to that is casting knows and can smell desperation. Yes. So if you're chasing, I really need to book this commercial to right. pay rent, you know, a, a commercial casting director can smell that you're giving yep. off that vibe, whether you know it or right. not. Just but if you're walking into the room, you don't, you don't need this. Right. Right. This is my job. My job is to audition and I come in and I audition and the moment I leave, it's out of my mind. I'm on to right. the next thing. Right. That that it's actually empowering. For me, the three most important words for an actor are let it go. Let it go. Because statistically speaking, you didn't book the job. Sorry, you didn't. Sure. Right. On a really successful year, a union actor is booking between three and eight percent of the jobs that they so for every 100 auditions, you're not booking 95, let's say 97. Sure. Okay. So if the peace of mind that is not scary, but empowering, Hey, I didn't book that. Cool. Great. I'm on to the next one. One step closer. One step closer. 97 no's until yep. that yes comes along. Yep. So when you do get a phone call, that's like, Hey, you booked that job. You're like, wait, what? Oh, awesome. What great. Thanks. Surprise. What a great surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And also if you've got, you know, we're talking about the sustainable job. If you've got this job that's keeping you going, then you don't need the job financially. Right. So the creative boost by booking the job is all oh, that, that fuels your ego sure. and your soul and it fuels your creative pursuits. Right. And look, ultimately the goal is to be a working actor, right? sure. a steadily working actor. But even if you watch those documentaries on Netflix, right? Uh, that guy who was in that thing, have you seen that one? The guy who was in that thing. That guy who was in that thing. So there's two of them. There's that guy who was in that thing. Okay. And, that woman who was in that thing that came out a couple years later, but the first one, that guy who was in that thing, that's literally the name of it follows 15, 16, um, like really top level guest star actors. Cool. And you know them because it was that guy right. who was in that thing, you see their face. But, but you don't know his name. Right. Right. And these are, these are guys who have been on every show you watch on television. Right. They've been in tons of movies. They are absolutely working actors. Right. They're not names. Right. Right. So they're not making seven figures a deal. Right. So these, like, if you are a guest star on an episodic in Los Angeles, that means you're pretty much tied up for 10 days to two weeks out of the month. So you're not auditioning. You're not right. working. So even if you were really, really good and you went from one job to the next, right. you may be working 15 or 20 jobs a year. Right. That's not a lot in Los Angeles to pay a mortgage and put your kids into school and ballet and soccer sure. and all that stuff. So even those folks have side hustles. Absolutely. Even those folks who you are like, oh, I would right. ask for that guy's autograph in the Cheesecake Factory, <laughs> right? That guy has right. a side hustle. And it could be – at that point, it could be real estate or right. it could be, um, you know, 
property investing sure. or flipping or or it could be stocks and day trading sure. and stuff like that. So it's a, slightly, yeah, it's a slightly different level for them. But there's a very real thing that's happening today that the middle class actor is being, you know, erased out of existence. Yeah. So there's very much a haves and have nots. L.A., as it's getting so much more expensive. Right. It used to be up until about five years ago, most union actors could sustain themselves on their commercial bookings, right? Because commercials used to pay so well, but, you know, for a variety of reasons, one being the shift in non-union production and commercials, the second being the shift in content consumption. We don't sit in front of the TV for three hours and watch TV now, which means we don't watch commercials now. So the way we get commercial consumption is digital digital before you watch a video, right? You get a 15 second commercial. And so no one is making almost no one. Almost no one is making that big six-figure dream payday yeah. on a commercial anymore. It's just, it just it just doesn't happen. Flow the progressive girl. <laughs> right, but then that but then that's a different trade-off for right. her, right? Right, yeah. I mean, she because can't do. she she is on a her she's on a is, her brand is done. She yeah. was, I mean, she I think I think the last thing I read about her is she's made over twenty million on that, which is great. She's set sure. for life. Sure, she's but her life. acting career is shot. Sure, she's done right. because she's forever associated Branded with that, with right? Yeah. That's that's different than being an actor in a commercial. You are now a spokesperson for a brand. Right. Right. You are the face of that brand. Same as the Verizon Can You Hear Me Now guy, yeah. which is now Sprint. But right. um and and she says this. It's it's really hard for her emotionally sure. because she moved to LA to be an actor. Right. She wanted and to tell stories. complex characters. Yes. She didn't want to necessarily be just be flow the progressive lady, girl. right? So the way she does that is her and her friends have a sketch comedy company. Oh, cool. And so they still she still performs every Sunday oh, in nice. Hollywood in front of like 12 people wow. or 20 people. Because that's her way that she can cathartically sure. tell a story or inhabit a character or what sure. have you. But you know, really her opportunities to do that on a larger right. scale are, are done now. And I think that's such a good, I mean, that's such a good example of the fact that, I mean... You know, you don't get to choose. You don't get to you choose how your choose career what's happens to happen. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard. And even if you, you know, she is very wealthy now, and yeah, but even so, she her biggest issue is the art still. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I think that's like a really good lesson, especially for people who maybe are still newer and don't understand like the longevity factors of this being a life and not a uh, way to get quick rich or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, if you're in this business to make money, you're in the wrong. Yeah, you're in the wrong business because oh, yeah. it will you will you will lose money. You will sure. spend far more money than sure. you make for the first several yeah. years. I mean, that was a big reason why I took so much time off. I was like, no, 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 like it's fine. I'm going to be in business and I'm going to be fine and I'll have a career. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm creatively dead inside, so I had yeah. to like you know switch that around real quick. But I think unless you're someone like that, go do the business thing, do whatever you want to do else that you can do and be happy but um for the rest of us i've tried to quit yeah i've tried to quit this business a lot and i have this conversation with a lot of peers who've been in it as long as i have i'm in my 19th year right 19 years yeah holy shikes right um and all of us who've been grinding that long have tried to quit multiple times have quit Mm -hmm. but you get sucked back back in you get drawn back in because you want to tell stories and art is important sure. no matter the medium art is important like during during war people go to movies to yeah. escape 9-11 happened and broadway was open that week right. and saturday night live did a show that week right right 
it's it's in it's in our worst or lowest times that humanity leans into art sure. and it's when artists become valuable you know there's been such an emphasis in education in the last few years on stem right mm-hmm. science technology engineering math and folks are really saying hey don't don't forget the a steam right. science technology uh, engineering arts right uh, as well and the arts are really critical and it's sad that school systems are, are cutting funding for the arts because you know play is important Absolutely. play is really important I mean we're all going to have to work for 40 or 50 years. Right. There's no there's no way to avoid that, and that's fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with work right, and right. working hard. But, you know, being able to have a creative outlet and an expression to, yeah. to tell stories or draw pictures or, right. you know, would it create? Just create. Sure. That's what it is. It, it makes happier people, and I think we'd all get along better. It was, What's crazy to me on, on that same note is, um, I mean, in, within marketing, I'm a, specifically a content strategist. Mm. So I'm writing all day, every day, 2,000, 3,000 words a day. <laughs> so what I, I have, you know, I've been reading all those articles and like kind of keeping up to date on it and it's hitting faster than people think yeah. when I'm applying for jobs. And when my companies that I'm working with are looking to hire new people, it's hard for them to find writers who are at yeah. the level that they need. So I was like, oh, thank God. Like when I was in school, everyone was like, oh, I wish you liked science and math more, Allie. Like <laughs> that would have served you a lot better. But now that I'm on the other end of it and that's kind of what I do, it's I'm pleasantly surprised by the demand in which it's people are already starting to need people who are good with words and art and creativity. Yeah. And um, so I'm hoping, I mean, for, for all of us on the creative side that it if keeps you, going. Did you know Sam Christensen? Is yeah. You? So Sam Christensen, uh, he, he just passed away earlier this year. But for 40 years, he was a, he was a fixture um, in in our industry. Mm. He he was the very first cat. He he was a casting director for Mash. Okay. He was the first okay. casting director to negotiate a single card on a TV show for casting. Um, anyway, he pivoted away from casting and became a teacher and an advocate for artists and helped with a lot of branding and mm. essencing. Anyway, the whole point of that was when I first took a course with Sam. He, he explained something that was really, really interesting for me. In around the year 1500 in England, right, Ill- almost everyone is illiterate. The only literate people are nobility and clergy, okay. right? And it was primarily Latin. Right. And so the, the average illiterate adult peasant had an active vocabulary of around 3,000 words on a daily basis, Right. Yeah. Just in their interactions with their peers okay. and their and their bosses and overlords and what sure. have you. In the year 2000, the average adult who's literate, obviously mm-hmm. at this point, most of the developed world is, is functionally literate. The average daily vocabulary was 1,000 words. Wow. So as technology has improved things, and we, as we've become more efficient, uh, we've lost the ability to express. Absolutely. We've lost the ability to communicate. Um and it, it, it takes me back to, um, you know, dead, dead poet society, right? And and Mr. Keating, Robin Williams' character, is why why do we write poetry mm-hmm. to woo women, right? And to to communicate, to to express right. love, and it's and it's all of those things. But now we've fallen back and become so lazy. I think that, you know, we use the word awesome for everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, your new phone case is not awesome, right? Seeing a sunset for the first time is awesome. Right. Right. It is inspiring of awe. Sure. Your new phone case, cool. 
Yeah, you know, like it. I like it. It looks nice. Protects my phone. Yep. Not awesome. Right. Right. Let's be a little bit more articulate in the words sure. that we choose to use. And there's a flip side to that too. Well, why, yes, I can use awesome, and you know what I mean, and I know what I mean. Right. So why not you? Why use seven words when one word suffices? Right. But we lose communication. Absolutely. We lose the ability to write and articulate and communicate sure. and 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 woo women and woo, well, or or men or men. Or I men. mean, I can. Probably will. Well, then I tried hard enough, but you know, with words, I'm sure you words, could. You know? you know, words, words do all things. Wow, I did not know that statistic. That's yeah. wild. It's crazy. But if you're a writer out there, there's lots of opportunities. There's for a it. lot of opportunities. The rest of the world isn't really yeah. getting with it. Yeah, That's I think hard. you know, pivoting slightly. I think with with writing, what's really cool now is seeing, um, and we're still we've still got a long way to go, but there's a lot more diversity now in writers' mm-hmm. rooms in Hollywood, which is really, really cool. So we're starting to see a a, a richer tapestry of stories being told. And I'm like, yeah, this is good. I'm about it. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, at the top, the tip top of the pyramid is still sort of obviously heavily male dominated, whether that's the, that the roles being cast are still primarily white men. Uh, But I'm talking showrunners, directors, studio network executives. They're all, they're still overwhelmingly male. Right. Right. And it's going to take a lot of time to change that. But there's so many good stories oh, out yeah. there and so many great writers out there. And it's, it's pretty exciting to right. see. I think the next like five or 10 years are going to be really cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm um, so psyched. I mean, I remember this has been a couple years ago now, but when Reese Witherspoon started her production mm-hmm. company and she kind of explained like, you know, I was sick of seeing uh, movies where the lead female character in the moment of crisis turned to the male lead and yeah. said, what do we do now and right. she was like have you ever in your life had people you know when there's when there's a fire they tell little children to go find a woman because that's who's going to be able to help them out <laughs> so she's like so why in these scripts is it always the woman turning to the man to ask what's going on yeah. and what's going to happen next when in most cases they wouldn't do that they would just act they would just do something what, what is that test the um the, oh, the Bechdel the, test, the, mm. yeah, right, and not a lot of stuff passes the Bechdel no, test. No, so so I mean, even that. I mean, the second I started thinking about it after I saw that speech, I felt like every time I watched something, I was like, oh, a woman wouldn't say that in that situation. Oh, <laughs> what, what? Why did they write that? I would never say that if I were in that situation. That's funny. And it now I just that little switch in my brain is always on. So, um, so I love that. But you know, yeah. I agree. I can't wait to see how things continue to evolve. And and honestly, I mean, when you think about it, I think a lot of people are, which don't get me wrong, I'm all about supporting this wave of, sure. of, of change, but it's only been a little bit and we've already made so much progress. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really cool to see how much we can do in such a short time. And, and when you think about that being magnified over the next decade or so, yeah, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. I think so. And look, we're in a really good time for television i mean there's over 500 scripted shows right Mm -hmm. so there are more stories being told the the challenge then is how do you cut through the noise and how do you how do you survive and thrive as a a project and not just one of the many disappear one of the many yeah um it's a really interesting time for consumption of media and all the networks that we have and all the streaming that we have i mean and financially as an actor that's a huge thing because you know streaming residuals don't pay anything and so that costs costs us a lot of money right. again another reason the middle class actor is being eroded out of existence it's hard to even survive as an actor now which then reinforces <laughs> the notion that being in atlanta is a great place to be because yeah. we have a lot of opportunities that folks in la don't have. sure sure Crazy. 
I mean, there's a reason why we got so many people from LA and New York migrating down. <laughs> so many. Yeah, so many. So many. Which this is something that you know kind of annoys me. It's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. I was talking about it on Facebook. I'm on Facebook a lot talking about things. You uh, on Facebook a I mean, lot? Shocker. What? Um, but people, you know, people say we're full. Atlanta is full. Oh lord! And that really annoys me because it's a it's very much the kid in the sandbox being you know like this with their toys and just just like my toys my toys sure you can't play which is stupid right because on the one hand in atlanta actors are griping that they're not getting larger opportunities right they're not getting more meaty roles they're not getting series regular opportunities whatever it is right oh why do they keep booking these roles out of la well because uh, perception is reality to a certain degree right we have to earn that Mm -hmm. so for me the notion of saying Atlanta's full, we're full, right. is counterproductive. The more great actors that move here, the better. Sure. The better. And here's why. The only reason you would say we're full is because of fear. Right. Because you are not mindset. you are not a good enough actor to compete against other right. good actors. Right. Right. My notion, my concept is the more great actors that are here, the less uh casting director the less a producer and the less a showrunner can go you know we need to cast this role out of la the less or new have york reason to complain no about way this. no way there are 20 choices for every role you need right, right here right no need to go to atlanta uh, to la sure it, it makes us all rise together i agree and i think i i mean i'm sure you can relate to this as well i feel like one of the big things that i remember from even being a child when I would work in LA is that that scarcity mindset mm-hmm. that there's so many people and there's only so many roles and that we're all fighting each other over things. And that's one of the things that when I moved here, I was so thrilled that I didn't feel. Yeah. And I feel like the more that like we, that we need to squash all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Cause the more we start thinking like that, the more we're going to start getting that vibe that we have in LA right. of not being friendly and not supporting each other and encouraging each other. Because I think that that was at least for me a big immediate just vibe difference yeah we're we're insulated from that in atlanta somewhat because everything we do is self-tape right if Mm -hmm. you go if if you just sit in a waiting even if you weren't an actor if you just sat in a like a casting office for 30 minutes you'd be able to see the psychological warfare that takes place actors psyching each other actors out psyching themselves out some do it consciously some don't do it consciously it just happens uh but yeah this you know I have a friend who he's a series regular on a TV show now um, for Shonda Rhimes, okay. his his second TV show nice. that he's been a Shonda Rhimes series regular on. So, so I she's mean, a big fan of him. Yeah, the guy's yeah. done really well, right? But for many many years, he was one of the top commercial actors in LA. Sure. And so when the casting director would come out of the room, oh hey, give him a hug. How are the kids? Right. Right. Someone else who comes from a panic. scarcity mindset is panic. Oh, there's no way I'm going to get this job. Right. The casting director loves this guy. Right. But if, if it's his job to be, it's his sure. job. If, if sure. it's your job, it's your job. Right. You know, there's a, he could go in and do great, and it could still come down to the things that we all hate, which are like appearance. Appearances or height. height or, or, right, or like, or height well, or, we, we cast somebody just like that in our last right. spot. Let's use and, a different type. Sure. Absolutely. So those factors still apply no matter how. Yeah. You know. So 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 that mind those mind games you're playing with yourself do no one any good. Sure. Right. So again, coming back to this market, we're doing so much in self tape world 
that we isolate and insulate ourselves from that a little sure. bit. The downside is we are we are not razor sharp mm-hmm. because we're like, oh, I'll just do another take. Right. I'll just do another take. My personal philosophy, and this is sort of the things I, I work with on my students, it, for, for theatrical stuff, film and TV, if you can't nail it by the third take, you're not going to. So why, why go to take eight and take nine and just right. spin your wheels and frustrate? Right. That, that's not to say that you, you might not need to because, sure. okay, there was a technical glitch. Um, I, I, I drop, I drop right. my eye line or I drop a paragraph. Okay, we'll do another take, right? right? But, but my, my, my thing is the first one is sort of a, a, a feeling out one, a rough draft. You should nail the second one. And the third one is an Make alternate, another choice. Another yeah. choice. That's right. Um, and then, okay, a fourth one for safety. But if you're, if, if you're still learning the script as you walk into the taping room, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. If you're coming in with vanilla choices and you'll figure it out in the room, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And the hard part is, is even though it's self-tape, you're taking a slot from another actor. Right. You're taking a Absolutely. slot. It's still a numbers game, right? Um, I did I did the math on um, just very, very loose math on a Feldstein Paris show, like mm-hmm. one of their one-hour dramas. And I, I figured out that, not, not that they're going to intimately look at every headshot closely, but they're going to see approximately 150,000 headshots for one season of one show. Okay. Yeah. So of those 150,000 headshots, about 5,000 actors are going to be asked to tape. First round. Yeah. Yeah. And then however many are going to book off of that. Right. Right. So, so the numbers, the numbers are staggering to get an audition right. is a massive victory. Right. I don't, I don't think people realize that. They don't, they just, and they don't celebrate they, that. They don't. Or, or, or don't understand the responsibility that comes with that either. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so many people turn in substandard tapes because, well, I was asked to tape. I need to turn it in. I need to turn it in. You you can you can make a worse impression by turning in a bad tape than by not turning to pass on it. If you don't, if you, got, if you got three other ones, pass on it. Yep. Don't turn it in just to do an exercise, because they're they're not going to like what they see, and that does more to erode their confidence in you than sure. it does to be just just. I to mean, every see time you. that you have an opportunity to be in front of them, whether it's in person or on tape, yeah. that's adding to their mental, whether it's subconscious or yeah. or active, their idea of who you are. Yeah. And we don't I, get that many opportunities. No, I'm grateful that the, the pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit, and more offices are seeing people in person. Thank you know, Lord. Megan Lewis RPM always sees people in person, even if she's in New Orleans. Obviously, her assistant Rebecca is here; mm-hmm. she's amazing. Um, Erica Arvold has a full time office mm-hmm. here now with Megan. Her Megan Apostoli is her assistant. I mean, Meg, uh, sure. Erica is up in Charlottesville still. Um, but those are two offices who will always do in person if they have the resources, if they have the right. time, right? They may do self-tapes as well. Sure. Um, but what, what's staggering to me is, you know, in, in my position as a teacher, I, I, I have more access to agents and casting mm. than I do just as an actor, sure. right? Because I'm coming to them as an industry peer right. as opposed to actor and then representative or casting. Sure. And so I, I get some more transparent answers from them. And casting especially, it's staggering even when they do offer in-person auditions, how many Atlanta actors say, "Can I actually? Can I? Can I? Can I tape? Can I self-tape for that?" Why? Unless you are literally like in California or somewhere where you physically cannot make it because you're doing yeah. something else. Go move, move mountains to go in the room, because a that's what you're supposed to do as an actor. That right. your auditioning is your job. I that's will, what your job is is, is to yeah. get in front of people. 
to move them, to have them give you a note right. and to show that you can take a note. You don't have to right. hit the home run on the note. They just want to see that right. actor is coachable. Right. Yeah. Right. I would, oh my God. That's like crazy to me. If I could be in the room for everything, I would in two seconds. I yeah, miss that. I miss too. it so much. What would be your ideal role? My ideal role? Yeah. What would you like to do as an actor? Oh, um, kind of actually last night, a scene I was working on in class uh, is like the dream. And everyone in my class is like, yeah, like this works for you, okay. which is like, I, I love sci-fi. I love action. I was playing... Um, I pulled a scene from Luther. Okay. Um, Alice. So she's, she's great. I love she's that. A I, know, sociopath. I love that. I love that character. I love yeah. that scene. Is, is this where she first encounters Luther mm -hmm. and she talks about how she graduated young? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful performance by an amazing yeah. actress. She's fabulous. She's great. And I love that type of character though. Yeah. So whether it's, I like like that kind of stuff. I like complex mental states, yeah. um, whether they're, you do, you know, watch, do you watch black mirror? I've watched. Yeah, I, th I love those that they're all self-contained, so you don't need to, you know, catch it. You don't right. need to watch it from the beginning. They're all right. individual, self-contained episodes, um, but they're all such thinkers. Yeah, they're all like really psychologically deep, and you're like, wow. Yeah, I, I, do, love, I do that. Or, love or, that yeah, stuff. that's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, yeah. so that those kinds of roles. Um, I mean, I get called for a lot of ingenue. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Things. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, which I'm fine with, but for me, I like I like complex. I like toughness. I like gr a little bit gritty, but like yeah. I'm not like a. Unfortunately, I'm not really usually uh, a super Atlanta gritty style. Mm -hmm. I'm a little more glossy gritty. That's okay. But um, which isn't great for this market. Great for other markets. Sure. But, um, yeah, yeah. I like I like things I can sink my teeth into. My my. You touched on something that made a light bulb go off in, in my head. I have a friend, Omar Dorsey. He's a really accomplished actor. He grew up here in Atlanta, went to um, DeKalb School of the Arts, African-American guy, big, okay. strong, intimidating-looking guy. He's a series regular on a show called Queen Sugar. Okay. Plays the character of Hollywood, ironically, uh, okay. since we're talking okay. about Hollywood. Um, but the, the point of this is actors often get frustrated in the sense that I can act. I can. Sh I need to. I need to show right. them I can act. All the things I can do. I can right. play this. I can do this. I can do this. And it reminds me of a. You know, Omar early in his career, as an African American, this happens. You're going to get typecast as yeah. a gangbanger, as a criminal, as a thug, right. right? And you know, he was sort of getting frustrated with that, and other people were getting frustrated on his behalf in the sense that, like, are you? Don't you want to show them that you can do so much more? I mean, you are a fellow, and you can do all these things. He's like. No, I'm going to nail every one sure. of these things. The cash spends the same. I'm going to book all of these things until there are no more of these things left for me to book. And they, then they will give me more. I love then that. Then they will give me more opportunities. I love that. And I think here in our market and just newer or greener actors in all markets are so in so much in a hurry. And they're like, oh, oh well, I need to do this and then this and then this. It's like, no, 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 just relax. Right. Just relax. You know, get really, really good and really, really laser focused at the thing that you're right for. Absolutely. If you do that, you will get opportunities. People sure. see you. Casting knows. Sure. Casting knows. But if you have a blank piece of paper on your resume, I'm sorry, you're not going to get the 14-page right. guest star right. on Long Order SVU. It's right. just not going to happen. You're going to get barista number two, hot girl, right? Oh. 
Uber driver, yeah. terrorist, thug, student one. Student one. You're gonna, and look, those those, right. those checks right. clear the same way. Yes. Spend that money, learn, right. add that credit. Right. right? The, this business is very much risk management. Okay. So when casting or mostly a producer, a decision maker is looking at the resume, the first big credit is the hardest one. Then when you have that first credit on the resume and they flip the resume and they over, oh, she's already worked on CBS. Someone took a chance on her. She auditioned, booked, shot, didn't get fired. Right. Right. Whether you get cut out of the final project or not is sure. irrelevant. Oh, yeah. You, you got the credit. Sure. Right? And it doesn't even matter. Like, they don't even, I mean, half the time, they won't even look and actually follow up to look at you in those roles, see if no, you're any good or not. No. It's just it's just a point of access. It is. It just opens up right. another level of access. And and it's, I'm, I'm glad you said that because there's there that happens constantly. All actors are climbing the same ladder. Yeah. We're just at different rungs. Yeah. Right. So I have people who are envious of the position I'm in. I'm like, well, yeah, first of all, I've been, I've been doing this 19 years. Number one, you've been doing it two years. Right. All right. Patience. Tap the brakes. Number two, you're looking up at my rung on the ladder saying, gosh, I wish I was there. And you will be. Mm-hmm. I'm looking up at my friends saying, gosh, I wish I was there. Sure. You know, um, my, my, my friend is is putting together his four year consideration campaign for the Emmys right now because he had a really massive emotional arc on Grey's Anatomy this season and you know he's so moving but yeah he you don't see the years years and years and years almost two decades of work that leads to this point he's also been on another show for six seasons wow right Uh, Dewan Johnson he's on Bosch plays Detective Pierce on Bosch okay and and he he played this just really amazing moving son in in Grey's Anatomy this past season and so you know like people are now starting to see. Right. 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 And again, at every rung on the ladder, it's it's not only, gosh, I wish I was there, but sure. you also don't see the problems that exist there. Absolutely. Right. The whole grass is always greener. Right. So using Dewan as a real example, you know, and he, he would have no problem with me, me talking about this. I want to be in his position, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be working at the level he's working at. But then when he's at that level, he's working so frequently on a show sure. like Bosch, that means he can't work on something else right? because his, his schedule is so full, which is a beautiful place to be, sure. but that doesn't stop the artist from wanting to tell other stories Absolutely. as well, you Absolutely. know? And well, so on a hiatus, maybe you get yeah. to, maybe you get to be in a movie. What Dewan right. did is he's like, Hey, I have more aspirations in this business. So, uh, during hiatus, I'm going to direct a movie. And so he directed, awesome. uh, he directed his own, his own cool. film. Right. And so now he put another tool into his tool belt that he's going to be able to apply down the road. And you see that a lot. A lot of today's episodic directors are also actors, you know, and they're pretty successful actors as well. And Fred Savage is is like a really Mm -hmm. busy. He doesn't act as much anymore, but he's a hugely successful episodic director. Love him. He's great. Yeah. I think I mean, I think that's like a good testament to the fact that like it doesn't matter what rung of the ladder you're no. on you always have to keep getting new skills you always have to keep yes. learning you always have to keep pushing yourself and it's never like it's like the whole more money more problems kind of thing <laughs> you know yeah. like like more money more recognition more opportunities more problems and different kinds of problems i mean yeah. i'm sure you know your friend has beyond his own personal desires he has more people on his team telling him different things and yeah and different influences and and all the politics i mean it just gets crazier the 
the higher up you go. So it does. It's a lot of different things to consider, but but I think it's good. I think it's good that we remind ourselves of this and like actively soak it in. And I mean, at least for me, it makes me shift my perspective on where I am and the, the rung of the ladder that I'm on right now and be really grateful for the time that I have to dedicate to this rung. Yeah. Right now, you know, I, and I think that's one of the double-edged swords of social media, right? There's, there's, you get a larger access to engage with industry mm. people that you might not to not get to without social media. Yeah. But the downside is we're constantly playing the comparison game. Oh, they booked this and they sure. booked that. And look at that. And I wish I had this and I wish I had that. If social media didn't exist, actors emotionally mm. would be in a better mental health position. Sure. Right? Because I'm, I'm only dealing yeah. with my rejections at that point. Right. I'm not comparing myself against all of these other right. people. I'm not seeing that. Sure. Right? I mean, I think it goes back to what you're saying that you kind of sum everything up with is just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I love that. Control your controllables yeah. is what it is. I think that's a good note to end up ended on today yeah so how can um how can we support you how can we connect with you on social media or um support any of your projects or gosh thanks um social media i there's probably the two the two best ways to do it instagram at alex b collins alex b collins and then i also run a really small facebook group called the approach which is for actors um, but there's no link dropping and like my headshot and help me which demo reel clip do you like? There's none of that. It's just supportive um, nuggets of information. Love that. Um, and so, so the approach on Facebook and then at Alex B. Collins. I'm not on Twitter as much, but I do drop a lot of sort of like retweets from casting directors okay. who've, who've shared really good nuggets. Cool. And so Alex Collins acts. Awesome. Alex Collins. I'll, I'll link all your links okay. in the show notes yeah. and your website. Um, oh, yeah. I have a website too, I guess. Yes. I mean, yeah. That'll be on there. You know, <laughs> all the things. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time and sharing all of your knowledge. And this is such a fun chat. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Man, oh, man. That was such a fun episode for us to record. And we we went off on a lot of tangents, um, so I hope they were easy for you guys to follow. Um, but there's just honestly, so there are so many takeaways that I had after having that conversation with Alex, and you know there were a lot of things that I had thought about before and and had reflected on previously, but but kind of comparing and contrasting with Alex's experience was really, really interesting for me. And I think my biggest takeaway, at least when it comes to, you know, having a career outside of acting, whatever your day job is, I think it's really important to think about it from that long-term perspective, from, from a, a perspective of you want a career that is not just one year. You want your career and to plan for your career for 20, 30, 40 years. And how do you want your life to look? You know, do you want to be pinching pennies? Do you want to be living month to month? Or do you want to have a career that and a life that is sustainable, that is lower stress, that creates an environment for you where you can create and work on your acting, whether you are booking and making a lot of money on that side of things or not. And I think it comes down to you know, planning wisely and ultimately just respecting yourself and respecting the life 
and and the worlds that you want to create for yourself. And I think it's important that we remind ourselves that we are able and and should be able to to have that and that we're worthy of having a comfortable life and a life that um, that brings us peace and joy and not added stress to our already very full plates of stressful and unpredictable things in this industry. So that is something that I would like to leave you guys with. Um, When it comes to your day job and your career, know that you are worthy of having something that you at least don't hate. You know, I hope that you can find something that you love and something that brings you joy and happiness for those times when you are working and it's not an acting related uh, gig. So I'm going to leave you with that today. Uh, Next week is our last episode of season one. I know. I can't believe it either. Um, But I'm really, really pumped about it. I think you guys are going to like it. And we are already gearing up and getting ready for season two, which is going to be full of so many amazing and inspirational guests. I can't wait for you guys to hear them all. So as you know, if you liked the show today, if you got something out of it, give us some stars, leave us a comment, connect with us on social media, and share this episode with a friend who might also get some benefit from it. That is the greatest gift that you could give us is by helping strengthen our entertainment community, no matter what state you're based in. So that is all for me. I was your host, Allison Hazelden, and I will see you next week for episode 15. Well, friends, that's it for this week's episode of It's a Slate of Mind. I'm Allison Hazelden, and thank you for joining us. See you next time.